good morning. It is so good to be back here again. Joel, I don't know how you do that. I really don't. Uh, last time I was here, uh, I almost felt like I didn't need to get up and preach, just repeat the words of the songs, and uh, they, they went so well with the message, and managed to do that again this time. And uh, I don't know if he plans that out. He didn't get my sermon title until the day before yesterday. So if he planned that out, he did a quick job of doing that. Uh, we, will give the, we will give thanks to Joel and his team, but we will give the glory to Jesus Christ. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 12. It is good to be back with you. If you weren't here a month ago when Denise and I came, I'm Fred McDonald, I'm executive director for your Dakota Baptist Convention. Uh, South Canyon is a part of a network of 85 Southern Baptist churches across North and South Dakota that are focused on the Great Commission, and we exist to partner together to strengthen established churches and start new churches. Uh, each of our churches are autonomous and uh, individual churches. You're going to be calling a new pastor here soon. We're excited and we're praying with you as you go through that, that process. But we've just figured out there's some things we can do better together than apart, and those things that we do together, I get to help coordinate those things. When pastors need a pastor, or when churches need someone to come alongside and encourage them, that's what we're here for. Thank you so much uh, for what you are doing here in Rapid City uh, as South Canyon Baptist Church, but also around the Dakotas and around the world through our cooperative program. Uh, and uh, I also wanted to as you're still trying to find Revelation 12, if you haven't found it yet, uh, I'd give you a, an update, some really great news. Every year in September, our churches receive the Baker State Missions Offering, and those funds are used to do God's work here in the Dakotas. This past year, our goal was $40,000, and our churches gave 48, better than $48,000. It's only the second time we've surpassed our our goal of $40,000, and it is the largest uh, offering that we've received uh, in our history as the Dakota Baptist Convention. So I wanted to say thank you uh, to South Canyon Baptist Church and uh, for your uh, work for the cause of Jesus Christ and your partnership in, in ministry. Well, we're in Revelation chapter 12 today. I, I don't know if you have noticed this, but uh, you've, you've heard of uh, one-trick ponies you know, people who can do one thing really well. I guess you could call Satan a, a three-trick pony. He's got three tools in his toolbox. He's been using them ever since the beginning. Um, and uh, he, it's, uh, it's how he tries to defeat God by attacking God's people. John summarized those three tools that Satan uses. In 1 John, John wrote, Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 2.16, the Bible says that Satan showed to Eve that the fruit was good for food, it was, it was delight to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. He's been doing the same thing year after year, decade after decade, Century after century, millennia after millennia, he has three tools in his toolbox. He also has what I would call a technique that he uses to discourage us in those times when we, we falter and we disobey God. 
He accuses us when we fall. Uh, Satan's kind of like that. You remember that smart aleck kid in school who would, would stir things up and instigate things and get you to do something you were not supposed to do and then run and tell the teacher about it? John calls him the accuser of the brethren. When we sin, God has given us a path to restoration. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the easy part. Often though, even when we have, as we experience that restored fellowship, the pain of guilt can linger on for days, weeks, even years. Has that ever happened to you? Some old way has slipped back into your life. You go to God and you receive His restoration and His forgiveness. And then, egged on by the accuser of the brethren, months later, that pops back up into your mind. Why did I do that? Why did that happen in my life? We are entering a new year. And I want to assure you of something that the accuser of the brethren is still at work. And as you go through 2022, there are going to be times when he tries to point you in the wrong direction. When you head in that direction, he'll be there to pick at you and needle you and accuse you. So how do we overcome Satan's work? Well, that's the bad news, everything I've said up till now. The good news is, just as Satan has a toolbox with three tools in it, God has given us a toolbox as well. And guess what? It has three tools as well. John shares with us those tools in John chapter 12. John is given a glimpse of things to come, and he sees a great battle in heaven, and the forces of Jesus Christ win the battle using these three tools. And they're the tools that will help us to experience the victory of Jesus Christ as we go through 2022. I want to invite you to stand one more time. Let's read Revelation 12, verses 10 through 12 together. See if you can identify the three tools as I read. John writes, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even to death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. You may be seated. Did you catch the three tools that God has given to us? Tool number one is the blood of the Lamb. And I want you to know right off, this is our primary tool. In fact, it is the tool that makes the other two possible. If this tool is not in your toolbox, you cannot have a word of your testimony. If this tool is not in your toolbox, you will love your life more than anything else. And so we must experience the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb does a number of things for us. First of all, the blood of the Lamb saves us. 
We sang about that. Uh, Pastor Tanner just prayed about that. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is a free gift from God, but it came at a heavy price. Peter said, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Jesus' payment for our sin is what makes a relationship with God possible. If not for the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I could not experience new life. If not for the blood of Jesus Christ, our sin could not be forgiven. If not for His death and His resurrection, we would be eternally separated from God without hope. But Jesus was our sacrifice. He was what John called in 1 John, propitiation. That's a large, fancy-sounding word meaning satisfaction. God's holy wrath is directed at sin. God is holy. He must judge sin. Somebody once asked, why doesn't God just, since God is love, why doesn't He just say, well, everybody's sin, well, we'll just, we'll just mark it off and it's gone because I love everybody. It's because in, in, in addition to the fact that God is love, God is also holy, holy, holy. He must judge sin. Jesus, as He hung on that cross, took the full force of God's wrath towards our sin. And you receive forgiveness and life through the blood of the Lamb. When you repent of sin and by faith turn to Jesus Christ alone as your Lord and Savior, you experience a new life. The blood of Jesus Christ, you, you, you receive that forgiveness that comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. The, the blood of Jesus saves. Now here's something critical about that though. Jesus is not just a sacrifice for your sins. He is the only sacrifice. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's your Greek grammar lesson for the week. The word the, three times in that verse, is in the emphatic. There's an exclusiveness to it. Literally, it could read, Jesus is the way, the only way. The truth, the only truth. The life, the only life. Being good is a good thing to do. I hope you strive to do good. But you cannot do good enough on your own. Joining a church, a wonderful church like South Canyon. If you're not a member of a church, this would be a great place to, to grow and to serve. But just having your name on the rolls of South Kenyan Baptist Church will not give you a place in heaven. I even heard one preacher say, you can be baptized so many times every fish in the lake knows your social security number. But if you do not know Jesus Christ, you'll be a dry sinner going down and a wet one coming up. Baptism is something we're commanded to do, but it is a response to what God has already done. It is a testimony of our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only sacrifice because the blood of the Lamb saves. There's something else the blood of the Lamb does. It secures. Jesus' blood is not the only thing that saves Not only is it the only thing that saves us, it is sufficient. Nothing else is needed but beyond the blood of Jesus Christ, beyond His death, His burial, and His resurrection. 
And when you experience that, that grace and that mercy, when you experience the blood of Jesus Christ, Paul says in Romans 8, nothing will ever separate you from that love in Christ Jesus. Jesus' blood is sufficient. It secures you. I run into people every now and then, they're, they're worried that, that they've done something that will cause, them, cause God to stop loving them or cause Him to pull back His salvation from them. Think of it in these terms. Denise and I have six wonderful children. We love our kids. Our kids are wonderful kids. You don't believe me? Ask me. I'll tell you all about it. My grandkids are even better. But even my kids, and occasionally my grandkids, can annoy the fire out of me. They can do things that just make me scratch my head and grip my teeth. But I can't imagine any of my kids ever doing anything that would cause me to look at them and say, you're not mine anymore. Now think about it. I'm a father. I'm not always a very good father. I strive. I try. Sometimes I'm better than others. If I, an imperfect, at times selfish father, can love my kids with that depth of love, how much more does the love of our Father hold us securely because of the blood of the Lamb? The blood of the Lamb saves, it secures, it does one other thing, it's, it, uh, it sustains us. The price that Christ paid is a powerful tool for us. And remember the, the context here. This is talking about those who overcame with the blood of the Lamb. The price Christ paid is a powerful tool in resisting the work of Satan. Knowing that Jesus died for my sin motivates me to live for Him. It creates a thirst to honor and please Him with my obedience. In fact, Jesus said it's our obedience that demonstrates our love for Him. And so when Satan comes with those temptations, my love, the blood of Jesus Christ reminds me of the price that was paid for me. And it motivates me, it pulls me in the right direction. But you know, even in those times when I stumble and fall, the price Christ paid draws me back to Him. Rather than destroying me with guilt and fear, Satan's taunts ought to point us to Jesus. In fact, do this. Next time Satan reminds you of how bad you've been, simply say thank you to him. Thank you, Satan. You're absolutely right. Christian ought not to act that way. That reminds me, I need to go and confess my sin to Jesus, knowing that He is faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me before all unrighteousness. You have done me a wonderful favor, O enemy of mine. Thank you for pointing me to Jesus. Why? Because the blood of the Lamb not only saves and secures us, it sustains us. It's our first tool. It's our most important tool in the toolbox. Do you have that tool? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Have you done what Paul said in Romans chapter 10? That if we confess our sin, he's, that, that, uh, that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called upon the name of Jesus and received His salvation? If not, you can do it right now, right where you're sitting. 
Call to Jesus. And then as soon as this service is over, run to one of the pastors or elders of this church and say, I gave my life to Jesus. What's next? The blood of the Lamb. We have a second tool in our toolbox. They overcame with the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The prosecutors, when they are trying a case, oftentimes, in fact, I had a a friend who used to be a prosecutor. She told me it's almost all the time. They have to rely on what's known as circumstantial evidence. In other words, when nobody saw what happened or is willing to come forward and testify about what happened, they have to build a case uh, upon circumstances that when taken together prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. It's possible to do that. It's, it happens on circumstantial evidence that someone is convicted. But it's a challenge. If no one saw what happened, jurors can be left with this nagging little doubt in the back of their mind. And so it helps the prosecutor prove his case when someone steps forward and says, I saw it all, here's what happened. And they testify. God's existence, His greatness, and even His character is on trial in our world. Many deny His reality. Others say if He exists, there's no way to know Him. Satan stokes that unbelief with pride, creating a desire in our heart to be our own God. Remember Nebuchadnezzar when he had the three Hebrew boys standing in front of him? He said, who is that God who will deliver you out of my hand? The problem was not that Nebuchadnezzar did not believe in God, the God of Israel. He just felt like the God of Israel was only God over in Israel. And God had to show him that he was God everywhere. Creation, however, has enough circumstantial evidence to prove the existence of God. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 1. For what can be known about God is plain because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made so that they are without excuse. In other words, no one will ever be able to stand before God and claim lack of evidence as an excuse. The beauty, the perfection, the complexity of our creation proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is. Now having said that, it is easier for someone to believe and to see the truth of God when they have a first-hand testimony of a witness. The word of our testimony is our story of God at work in us. Your experience with God gives strong evidence to those who are lost. A bold declaration of how Jesus saved and transformed your life, and it's powerful. When Peter and John were standing before the council in Acts chapter 4, Peter said, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. People like stories. They'll listen to a story. And you have a story of, how, of your life before Jesus, how you met Jesus, and the difference that He makes in your life. 
And when you give that word of your testimony, it's a powerful word to those who are lost. It's a powerful testimony of who God is. Our experience gives us, with God gives us strong evidence to the lost. It also gives us ammunition to defeat the enemy. When Satan seeks to discourage us, we have something to fight back with. Jesus fought the enemy with the Word. He said, it is written. Satan is a defeated enemy. By the way, Satan knows. Sometimes I think we, we have this idea that Satan does what he does because he really thinks he's going to defeat God in the end. John said no. He said in verse 12 there, he knows he only has a short time. Satan is a defeated enemy. He knows he's defeated and he wants to take as many as he can with him. Our experience with God, your testimony, the word of your testimony is a powerful tool to resist when he comes with his taunts and his temptations. Somebody said, if, when Satan reminds you of your past, simply remind him of his future. One day, one day the accuser of the brethren is going to be on the receiving end. Jesus will bring the accusation. Jesus will convict him. Jesus will announce the verdict. Satan will face Jesus as prosecutor, star witness, jury, judge, and executioner. But until that day, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony blunts his arrows. By the way, there's a couple different aspects of our, the word of our testimony that you need to understand. There's a living word and a spoken word in our testimony. Oftentimes people will put those two at odds with each other. Uh, some say you don't need to talk about your faith. Just live for Jesus and others will want what you have. Others say, well, you know, God's word is so powerful. Proclaiming God's word is so powerful. Your conduct is not going to really matter in the end. Just Throw Jesus' name out there. Let's clarify that. Our testimony does involve a living word. Jesus said in Matthew 23, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Do what they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but they don't practice. In other words, when our life does not match our message, we confuse the lost. And we hand ammunition to the enemy with which to accuse us. For others to believe and to deflect Satan's arrows, we must live like Jesus. But having said that, a well-lived life cannot replace a boldly spoken testimony. You see, the witness's life determines credibility, but it's his story that convinces the jury. Suppose our prosecutor brings a video of his star witness and says, here's a tape of my witness feeding poor people, helping with flood relief, caring for refugees. But he really doesn't want to get up and testify. He's not very good at doing that kind of thing. The judge is going to, first of all, the the jury's going to laugh that prosecutor out, and the judge is probably going to kick him out. Paul lays out a logical progression in Romans 10 
of a logical gospel progression. It starts in verse 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We quote that all the time. To be, to be saved, you must call on the name of the Lord. But keep reading in verse 14. Paul goes on and says, to call, you must believe. And to believe, you must hear. And to hear, someone must share. And to share, someone must be sent. And then just to be sure that we get the message, to make clear that we are the ones who have been sent, Paul quotes Isaiah. How beautiful on the mountains of the, are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings good news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Walking for Jesus does not replace talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus does not excuse a failure in walking for Jesus. It's not enough to just walk the walk. It's not enough to just talk the talk. We've got to be walkie-talkies. Walking the life of Jesus Christ and sharing the message. It's the word of our testimony. So we have two tools. We have the blood of the Lamb. We have the word of our testimony. And for those who share their testimony, we have a third tool in the toolbox. They loved not their lives, even unto death. The date was February 23rd, 155 A.D. The bishop of Smyrna, whose name was Polycarp, a disciple of John, who wrote Revelation, stood before the Roman proconsul. The proconsul looked at him and said, Curse the Christ and you shall live. John's student said, For eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? You promised the fire that lasts but a little while. The fires of judgment reserved for the ungodly cannot be quenched. But why do you delay? Come, do what you will. And they did. And Polycarp, at the age of 86, died for the name of Jesus Christ. He loved his life, even unto death. Christians' history halls are lined with portraits of overcomers. They did not overcome with swords and arrows, but with their own lives. It began with the deacon Stephen in the book of Acts chapter 7. Through missionaries today, even, even high school students in our own country. John said they loved not their lives even unto death. They loved Jesus more than life itself. What a contrast to the philosophy of our day. Causes are advanced with vengeance and war rather than self-sacrifice. Enemies are defeated with retaliation, not humility. Pride is one of the deadliest attitudes. In fact, Solomon said pride goes before destruction, an arrogant spirit before the fall. Our, our culture takes the opposite view. Take care of number one. If it feels good, do it. If you don't stand up for yourself, no one else will do it. Hit me once, and I'll hit you twice, and you won't get up. That's what fuels our society today. Bitterness, payback, escalation, 
fuel relationships today. Have you ever noticed that no one ever thinks they started it? They're always justified in getting back. Families or politics. Even churches litter the highways of society today. In Fiddler on the Roof, the Russian Jews at the end of the, sh- of the movie are being forced to leave the only home they've ever known, Anatevka. When they get the order to leave one village, the men are gathered together and one of the men calls the other men to fight. He says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Tevier quietly replies, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Very good. That way the whole world will be blind and toothless. Jesus called his followers to a different standard. Listen to what Jesus said. You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And it's not just about how Christians treat other Christians. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. Do not overcome evil with good. Or do not overcome evil with evil, but with good. The accuser of the brethren understands that pride wars against that. And so he stirs it. He thinks he can derail of our, our effectiveness. All he has to do is get us to love our lives more than we love Jesus. Peter called him a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter says it's humility and a firm faith that resists Satan's. And when we do resist Satan with humility and a firm faith, Peter says, the God of grace who has called you to eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Jesus said, do it my way and you don't have to do it your way. You don't have to stand for yourself. I will stand for you. What will silence the accuser? Loving Jesus more than we love our own desires and self-will. Loving Jesus more than our own concerns. Loving Jesus more than life itself. Jesus overcame through a cross and an empty tomb. Stephen overcame under a hail of stones. Polycarp overcame in the midst of a blazing fire. They overcame because they loved not their lives even unto death. They loved Jesus more than life itself. You are an overcomer. Not because of who you are. Not because of what you know. Not because of what you possess. Not because of what you can do. Conquer the discouragement, pain, and arrows of the enemy this year with three things. The blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony, and love Jesus more than you love your own life. Would you bow your head with me, please? And as we close, where are you at today?
Have you experienced the blood of Jesus? If not, right now, call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Be like that man that Jesus pointed to in the temple. God have mercy on me, a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sin and rose again. And, and by faith, I surrender my life to him. Call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. And if you do, don't leave this place without telling someone. Come to the pastors. Come to the elders. So they can help you begin to grow in your growing grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you experienced the blood of the Lamb? And if you have, is there something in your life that needs to be redirected, refocused on Jesus Christ? Call out to Jesus. What about your testimony? Is there someone that you need to share your story with? Or maybe there's something that's going on in your life and you need to remind yourself as well as the accuser of the brethren who you belong to as you start this new year. And finally, is there anything in this life that you love more than Jesus? If so, acknowledge that, confess that, and ask Jesus to sharpen your love for Him Surrender whatever it is, whoever it is. Surrender that to Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters in this place. Lord, I pray that you would do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. Thank you for, thank you for giving us the tools to overcome the enemy. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the testimony that we have because of the blood of Jesus. And thank you for Jesus himself, whom we can love more than life itself. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Joel. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together.